Hi, everyone. Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today, we'll be welcoming Tristan Pelou, an expert passionate about fintech and innovation. After several years in corporate strategy and finance at Virgin Money, Tristan decided to launch Strategy Y, an independent management consultancy focused on scale-ups and startups and helping them shape executable strategies. He's also the chief pencil officer of Fintech Review, an online media focused on the fintech industry. On this episode of Scouting for Growth, we will be targeting everything fintech. But let's start with a few stats. There are more than 30,000 startups in the world, of which almost 10,000 startups are in the MEA when you think about fintech. Global fintech funding reach, some say, 75 billion USD dollars in 2022. Others say up to 100 billion USD dollars. And I think it depends as to whether you in, involve or in, uh, include the smaller investment deals, making a 46% drop from 2021, but up to 52% up compared to 2020. CB Insight shared in a recent state of the fintech uh, review world. In the introduction of this podcast series, I also shared that there were over 100,000 fintech startups out there, and some would probably disappear um, this year. But 30% of these ventures get investment funding from investors. And if you consider all the subsectors within fintech, including insurtech, health tech, wealth tech, to date, over 675 billion USD dollars have been poured into fintech ventures. And whilst the market is resettling, we'll see how you know those ventures are raising more funding this year or maybe going through MA or other form of uh, transition. Today we will cover with Tristan a few points. I wanted to know um, Tristan's path from Virgin Media to becoming now a fintech resilience expert supporting scale-ups and startups. Then I wanted to look into fintech into more details and some of the disconnects that exist maybe between high net worth uh, clientele and mass market customer segments. I also will ask Tristan about fintech challenges and opportunities for growth uh, right now. And we'll cover a little bit of fundraising and future uh, lands and scoping to see what Tristan thinks about today's situation. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, do not forget to subscribe to it, rate it and provide a comment here below. If there is a topic that you feel needs addressing, just send me a message using the channel option listed below too. So let's welcome Trista. Hi, Trista. Welcome to Scouting for Growth. It's so great to have you here with me to talk about fintech and finance. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So, Tristan, you know, I love starting uh, this discussion with a little bit of insight about who you are, where you're coming from, and what you are doing today. 
Can you enlighten us? Yeah, sure. So um, my background is in the corporate world. Um, so I, after business school, I joined the strategy team uh, at Virgin Money. Um, so doing corporate strategy and corporate finance, trying to figure out what uh, would be the impact of innovation on the business, uh, doing m &A deals, strategic partnerships with innovative startups and technology companies to do digital transformation in, in financial services. Mm -hmm. So I did this for a few years. Um, and then I subsequently launched a couple of businesses, one around like uh, media in fintech. So fintech review, it's an online media. And another one called Stragey around uh, management consulting towards technology companies, so fintech companies, but also like uh, SaaS and and like um, other types of of technology technology mm -hmm. businesses. So let's unpack. So it's fascinating you actually combining the two, right? Media and the consulting world into you know I would say one bucket. Can you tell us a little bit more? what that entail, the media side of your work and the consulting side? Yeah, sure. So the media side I launched first at uh, the beginning of 2020 because I was producing lots of insights uh, for uh, for Virgin Money and, and then spending a lot of time trying to figure out what was going on in the world, the, the trends, innovation, and I realized that it was a shame that the audience was so small within the company. So I created the media at first to, to spread my, my thoughts about what was going on. And then it evolved over time from a personal blog to uh, now it's more of a platform. Um, I do write every now and then, but it's mostly other people sharing insights about various things happening in FinTech. I also do interviews of, of business leaders and entrepreneurs in the field. So now it's a way for me to channel my my interest into fintech. Um, that's more, let's say, it's more my my passion work. Um, and then I do consulting, which is more my uh, I get to pay the rent work, uh, where I work with lots of companies across, mostly across Europe, uh, and helping them on their strategy, helping them scale um, and reach uh, a new a new level. So where are you located? Can I ask you? Where are you? So I spend most of my time in Barcelona, Spain. So not so far from, from the, the sea. So I I decided at some point that London was fun, but wasn't fun anymore. So after six years in London, I've decided to spend more of my time here, but working with, with people, like, as I said, across Europe. So I do travel quite a bit uh, um, around around Europe, yeah, here and there. So let's dive into strategic why. And as an advisor, I'd love to for you to to tell us a little bit more what you do every day with the startup you're working with. As you know, I work as well with scale up and startup and corporates. And you know, today with the current economic uh, circumstances commercializing, scaling, growing in the right way is very important for any organization. So it would be great if you could unpack a little bit more what are the challenges you see within the startup and scale-up world? How are you actually helping them make sense of what is happening and the results you can achieve 
or if you're you work with them to pay the rent <laughs> yeah so i think the as you say the environment is very different now than it was two years ago where um let's say it wasn't easy to scale but uh funding was more uh was more present so it was easier let's say it was easier to to scale um so i work with companies that go from um, a few people, like very early stage businesses, all the way to much larger, larger businesses. And um, at the moment, the challenges are a bit the same for everybody. Is that it's uh, it's it's a bit hard. Well, on on the startup side side of things, um, now I guess it's a more challenging environment to raise funds because you need businesses. Uh, business models are a bit more proven. Um, before it would have been easier to raise funds on on an on an idea like that is not really well formed. Um, now investors are a bit more wary and and they will ask for a bit more traction, a bit more proof behind what you're trying to do. Um, so this is where I think what is important right now, and this is where it's important also for corporates, is strategic focus, and which means. Instead of going in many directions at the same time, okay, let's do something very well. So let's launch this product. Let's launch five. Let's uh, go after this, this niche, this segment, instead of going after 10. So this is where I'm trying to help, helping um, helping businesses with strategic focus and, and execution. Um, so I think strategic execution is even more important than it was a few years back. You know, I, I'll tell you a story. Once upon a time, probably 10 years ago, I interviewed with a tech company, a very well-known tech company. I was transitioning from one to, the, to another. And uh, the CEO of that tech company read my CV and um, said to me, oh, you're a strategist. And uh, I said, okay, I don't know whether it's good or bad, but, you know, I said, you know, yeah, you know, I, I start with, strategy when you understand the problem the topics that need to be solved for and and then i start unpacking right and looking at the outcome so strategy is about understanding the problem and then looking at the outcome and then i build a, a roadmap and then i execute and um after my discussion my interview it was very odd i'll be honest with you um his chief of staff says, you know, Sabine, really like you, but he doesn't like strategists because they're thing they're in la 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 just like well Strategy without an execution is no strategy, first of all. And second, you can't just keep on thinking tactically. What I realized is that tech company only growth through acquisition, MA. So they're very really known to do MA. And so it's interesting, right? Where uh, once upon a time, we talk about strategy, but less about the execution. But there is no way you can actually do strategy with the, without execution. That's why investors are paying for right so my question to you is how do you do that every day because i think you need a a, a a lot of structure and thinking and focus to be able to do strategy well and what you highlighted just now is don't go after many shit you just go for one and actually do it very well now uh, because of the current economic circumstances can you tell us more yeah sure as you say i think um for me strategy is a lot about like being organized and project management so um <clears throat> it's about yeah trying to organize things and and so i i like to work with people that have lots of ideas so then i help them channel them 
build this into a plan. Okay, you want to do this. Okay, how do we do this? So uh, it's about breaking down problems. And so what I do, I use a lot the, the OKR methodology, so objective and key results as a way to organize things. So okay, our objective is this. Okay, what does it mean in terms of, of key results instead of, of, of KPIs? Uh, and then, okay, how do you get there? So breaking down into tasks. So this is what I do a lot is that I am Mr. Organization. I like to do lists. I like tasks. I like plans uh, because this is how you do things. And this is how, so what I do is with most of my clients is that I organize things is that, okay, you know, let's talk twice a week. This is the agenda of the meeting. This is what we're going to do this week. This is where we're going to do next week. Okay. Let's talk about the, the things that we, we, we said we would do. So this is a lot about like maintaining order uh, into, I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't be inventive, you can't innovate. It just means that you need to channel things and, and do it like in a very planified way. Uh, otherwise, as I said, a lot of energy is going into many directions and you're just losing time because if, for instance, you have company, you're 10 people and some people do the same things or you're starting going into a direction, but actually it doesn't match with what the other person is doing, then you're just losing time. But if everybody's aligned, everybody knows what's going on, there is a clear plan, and then you divide the tasks between people, then you achieve much more. Yeah, absolutely. So I just thought, listening to you, it'd be great to um, maybe dive into examples. I mean, I know that you're working with larger uh, companies and, and smaller ones. So it would be great if you could maybe share with us some memorable experiences working with corporations and, and startups so that we can better unpack and understand what that means to be into Tristan's world. Yeah, sure. I think so. For instance, when I was working at at Virgin Money, when you're working in a big, you know, ten thousand people company, when you do a project, you have lots of help uh, on different things. So, um, you if you do like a, you want to launch. I worked a lot towards the end on the launch of a loyalty program, and then when you do this on this project, you have lots of people with their expertise, and they help you. Uh, navigate certain things like compliance you would have a compliance expert like uh, technology you would have like a bunch of good technology guys um and then when you step in, in into a into a startup then it's very different because obviously you don't have as many people you need to things go faster but um it's it's also um it's also a bit more challenging so uh, for instance so last year i worked with um a scallop called Colvin. Uh, it's an e-commerce uh, scallop, and um, they were doing a couple of acquisitions in France and, and Italy. And so I was helping them doing the integration of the of the acquisitions. Um, so I had done post-merger integration when I was at Virgin Money, but it's very different when you do it in a high-growth startup where things move a lot a lot faster. And so you're trying to do a plan, but the plan might evolve a lot. Whereas when you're when you're working in a big corporate, you're doing your plan, it's going to be executed. It's not going to move in the next you know eighteen months and to two years when you're in a startup, things move a lot, and you still need to execute your plan. Uh, but it was super interesting to see you can do the same very same project, 
but in two different environments, it's going to be, you're going to need much more adaptability in a, in a startup and things will come and things will change, the assumptions will change and things, and the, the also the goals are, are very different. It's all about growth and all about uh, trying to go much faster. Yeah. Startups are all about growth and scaling. And um, yes, it's always uh, walking on shifty grounds. Um, and so it's interesting you are making the comparative with um, corporates as well, uh, because, yeah, they have more resources, they have more time, and they also have more if you know, structure and I think constraints where everybody needs to be on the same page before you can move forward. In the startup world, usually decision-making can be much more flexible and quicker. And so it's really always interesting to look at those two, two comparables between big big corporates and, and small players. So when you look at fintech today, what are the biggest challenge you see us facing? I know we have approached and touched upon some of them, but looking at, you know, for example, the MA work you are just doing, for example, now, what are the fundamental needs of the customer, which as fintech, we need to pay attention to? What are the challenges you think we are facing now or might be facing in the future to fulfill the needs of that customer yeah i think so obviously fintech has boomed lots of companies have come to market a lot in the b2c space um i think one of the challenges is that there are too many going after the same customers um and there is not enough like money to be made out of a retail customer and you know like when i see so many neo banks i'm like yeah sure but what are you doing is it like are you just making money out of interchange? It's not enough. Um, so this is one challenge is that it's a bit crowded in some areas, um, which means that I mean it's great for it's kind of great for the customer, but it's also confusing because there's so many players and and it's fragmented. So instead of before, maybe you were having everything with your bank and it was crap, but at least everything was in one place, rather than now you have to go like through. Oh yeah, why don't you don't know another app? And you're like, yeah, I don't want another app. I already have five financial apps. So I think this is a challenge, and we see lots of fintechs try to battle to be that super app. Um, and we'll see which one are going to emerge. But also, so many of them don't have a, a decent business model, and they're still loss making, and they're not profitable. Which means that it's um, it's going to be challenging for them to go out of that of that scheme and and being more okay we're, we're actually a business so with less funding available as 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 you say we've said before um but i see lots of opportunities in say in the in the more difficult business to business space uh, helping businesses scale especially at a time where it's a bit more challenging so helping them better manage their cash flow uh, getting the right financing uh, so this space thing is is quite it's quite interesting, but, uh, but I think for a lot of fintechs, it's going to be very difficult this year and next because they're not going to, it's going to be down round for some of them. It's going to be no finance, no funding at all for or for some others where they're going to just, you know, maybe there's going to be some consolidation um, because some assets are going to be cheap. Some customer portfolios are going to be cheap. Uh, so if you're in a good position, like some fintechs are, then for them, there's going to be lots of opportunities 
to scale faster through inorganic growth. Yeah, it's uh, interesting what you are saying because, um, yeah, there are going to be down rounds. I was checking some of the fintech numbers and what I realized is, you know, there are 100,000 fintechs out there and only 30% still before COVID had raised money and the numbers have not changed. And so what I think I see as part of the patterns within fintech is that there are not many new companies being uh, built right now, you know, being funded. In my industry, which is in Shotech, there are zero new new created startup at the moment, at least registered ones. Um, and at the same time, you know, when you look at, we are in February already, um, the market um, has raised over, you know, something like half a billion, which is not 500 million, it's not very much. And that money has gone to, to, to the bigger companies, you know, the one with a, uh, already secured business model. Um, younger ones are not really receiving yet uh, much funding, but as you said, because the valuation are down, what we find is um, companies are waiting to see whether they should you know, raise later. If they can't wait, you know, you have some which actually are disappearing, uh, going for M&A. Um, and then the youngest one, um, uh, you know, whilst, you know, they have a good valuation, it doesn't mean that they are going to be able to get the funding uh, because the investors are much more scrutinizing those uh, presentation financial metrics and partly making sure the unit economics are making sense. So Tristan, looking at the world we are, um, you know, moving into right now, um, who is today the perfect, um, I would say, fintech customer? You know, we, we heard a lot about mass market, you know, the mass market trend of uh, created by the, you know, the wealthy, wealth simpling, wealth simple, Robin Hood, um, and I'm sure uh, eToro and so on and so forth. What is a customer we are um going after today and you mentioned that some companies a lot of them are going for the same customer how do we differentiate when you work with those companies between the mass market customer and the high net worth one yeah i think the the, the line is is blurry right now because it used to be that yeah of course um like more on the high end of of the spectrum than it was private banks and uh, because customers were were looking for a personalized experience and and some kind of service that for the provider it only made sense to provide to people that can pay for it uh, but with technology now you can actually deliver like a good service going further down into the into that mass market um so it's actually quite interesting because some services that were not economically viable to provide to, to that market now are through the use of of technology which is then then the line is blurry is that at, at which point are you going to provide like some kind of personalized service if actually you can do it for cheap so then it feels like this is kind of customers that are, who are getting a lot of attention now it's pushed to like being really really like only a few customers because providers don't want to provide uh, because they're like oh okay actually we can uh, increase our return of on investment by just automating a lot of things um and so it's 
like relationship managers are disappearing because you know why why would you what why would you do that when you can do like chatbots and automated stuff but at the same time you also have a new generation of customers that are maybe they're not actually looking for relationship managers they actually want you know just an app that works well and so so i think the customer behaviors are changing with the influence of a lot of other sectors are um changing the way we just consume and it's much more digital so I think that it's quite interesting, but at the same time, I feel right now, um, this mass market has access to a range of tools, a range of investments. Um, you can have like a very diversified portfolio right now. Um, and it wasn't possible 20 years ago to be invested in so many asset classes. Uh, but now with ETFs, with a lot of stuff, it's it's quite cheap to to have a have the kind of portfolios that was only for um high net worth like yeah maybe maybe 30 years ago um and now you can have you know real estate you can have whatever you want you can have gold you can have oil uh, you can do like very like complicated strategies but at the same time i feel the gap in the market is that we we leave people to their own choices and sometimes it's not the right ones and so you mentioned, you know, Robinhood, and then people go for very complicated products. They go all in crypto, and it's like, yeah, no, you should have a diversified portfolio. But the providers don't explain that; they don't help people to do that. I feel, um, and so now it's it's a lot of people getting their savings wasted in 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 stupid bets, and I feel this is this is really a shame, and and it's a real gap in the market. Yeah. And, you know, we, we heard about FTX and funny this morning, I was, you know, doing my usual going into looking the news and, um, you know, uh, tweeting some stuff and there were some news around FTX as well. So what's your view on, you know, this specific company or what it represent in the digital currency world? And you mentioned people having their saving taken away by platforms because they were not well educated. What's your view around FTX and actually the need for better education, financial education? Yeah, I think FTX has shown that uh, whether well, people like it or not, uh, crypto needs to be more regulated, needs to be regulated in the same way as other financial service providers are, because you we've seen it was a complete complete shambles that there was no compliance there was no records of anything money was taken from customer deposits to invest into startups to make personal bets to buy houses it was like complete disaster um and it's just i think it's a wake-up call that okay now now it's over the fun is over let's let's just regulate this part of the industry, which for me is just part of financial services, is that they don't want to, but yeah, it's part like, okay, let's bring it and and let's regulate all that in the same way because otherwise you can't let, because then um, they do ads that are, that are a bit confusing. People feel, oh, it's like a bank account. It's like a regulated um, stock exchange, but no, actually nothing is regulated and then you lose your money and then, then these people are going to turn to regulators and governments and be like, hey, where is my money? What, what has happened? Well, we haven't regulated this part. So, you know, so I think it's just 
of course, it's one bad apple, but it's it's to show that actually this needs to be better controlled. There need to be rules around what you tell customers. Um, the funds need to be protected. Um, there need to be rules also around advertising, um, which is not the case right now because you see like guys like Shaquille O'Neal saying, oh yeah, FTX is great. Then people invest. And then actually now Shaquille O'Neal is saying, oh no, actually I didn't know what it was. Yeah, but you you did advertisement. You took money from it. And then people vote on the basis that you were recommended this product. So all this needs to needs to change, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I tend to be very careful as well around, you know, um, I would say financial services or investment uh, commentary. I try to shut away from it because even though you like something and it's you think it's relevant, you, you have to be careful uh, for it not to look like a recommendation. And you're right. We have seen people getting fined for supporting specific companies and then advertising them without realizing it's, um, you know, soliciting others to to purchase. So all this, as you said, needs to be regulated and anyone needs to be careful around uh, that specific sphere where individuals can make choices. That's why I like working B2B because at the end of the day, B2B businesses mean to make, make choices and hopefully they have enough people together uh, to make the right choices. So what do you think we need to do to improve that financial education gap we have at the moment? Uh, what is missing? What could we do better? Um, so I think it's quite complicated because as a as a business to tackle that, you can't only do that because it's not it's never gonna be profitable because people are not gonna pay for it. And how would you like fund this? It's more like you know, with ads or whatever. So I think it's it's more um, um, well businesses that provide financial services. They need to do more in terms of trying to educate their customers. So maybe I don't know. Like it can be like when you're so, for instance, when you invest into startups, you need to do like questionnaires. And same when you in when you when you invest into some other things, you need to questionnaire to understand your risk appetite and the way you understand risk. Um, and I think this kind of things need to be more common. So, but for other things and, and it needs to be like part of this forced education to the customer to understand, actually, do you, do you know what you're doing now? Do you know how finance works, how money works? Um, and I think this, for instance, this kind of initiatives I could see uh, working well. Um, and then, it's it's also for the financial service providers to invest in education in courses and like providing this for free to customers um, because it's it it represents a tiny investment from their perspective but it could be a big difference for the way um, customers perceive money perceive investments um, so I, this is where I could see because a, a company solely doing that uh, if it's not if it's not paid for by the financial service provider, it's not going to be paid for by the end customer. No one is going to pay for, well, it's it's rare that you would pay for education that doesn't bring you something. Well, doesn't obviously bring you something. It's not bringing you a diploma. It's not bringing you like, it's just your knowledge. Yeah, it's about value creation. 
um, a value exchange, like calling it. So as we educate ourselves, mm. we're expecting that we are going to use that knowledge to do something with it. I mean, I guess when we get older, we educate ourselves for pleasure. It's a very different uh, matter, but still it's value exchange, right? Um, mm. So really understanding the value education, I think, would be more and more in- important. But in insurance, for instance, where, you know, conversion rates are still low in a specific market, so markets are more keen to, to buy insurance, for example, than others. I would say that some of the differentiation will come through education and helping people understand, you know, with climate, for example, why people need to protect themselves, particularly when they are in floodplains, um, to make sure that the assets are being protected more so than, you know, a house which is on a hill. All this comes through education and helping people better mm. understand how they can protect themselves. So what are the big mistakes that startup and scale-up could avoid, you think, looking at the year ahead? What would be your recommendation for them? Um, Well, I would say, because that's the kind of things I love, but having a good plan, um, not saying set in stone, but having a a plan of like what's looking at the basics of, of, uh, of a business, which is, okay, what is our product? Who are our customers? What is our market? Is our market big enough actually to, to do anything? Because I see also companies, I tend to say it's good like to go into a niche, to do something very well. But sometimes people go into like such tiny niches that I'm like, yeah, but there is no, you're going into like a, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of the market. So looking at how big is the market, who are your customers within it, uh, really trying to find the right value proposition and testing it again and again to be sure that you you have the right thing, um, and then building it, building your business doesn't need to be profitable very like uh, at at the very beginning, but having like already an idea of how you're gonna achieve it. So knowing when is your is your is is your break even at which point are you gonna get like good unit economics. And I think this is crucial now is that you can't be turning to to investors and saying, look, I'm not going to make money for the next five years. Just believe in me. Unless you're in a very specific niche around like, I don't know, very specific AI or like biotechnology or whatever, most businesses are going to tell you, no, like there's no way you're, you're selling me this, especially if you're, if you're selling your product, you should be selling your product. So that's, that's my advice is that, to look carefully at the business model, think hard about what you want to do, execute well, strategic focus, um, and then think about the path to profitability. Yeah. You know what? After your podcast, I will be releasing um, another podcast with Aaron Jones from Yepic AI. And uh, it was lovely uh, speaking with him and preparing for uh, our discussion um, because he's in a generative AI. So, you know, the platform they build is avatar-led video, video making platform. And so you just put the text and the avatar and your picture will actually speak in the video. And it's actually really cool. You can actually produce a video in minutes. But what was interesting is uh, reflecting what you just said, is he built a first business which fell and he had to learn from that experience to build business number two, which is in AI and generative AI. So a hot topic right now. He doesn't even need funding, right? Uh, Top line is doing very, very well. Um, But really understanding the market 
and understanding the products and actually executing on the strategy is important. And what you realize is it will not produce things, you know, at scale for small businesses, even though the platforms is used by small businesses, the goal is to create APIs to go into major corporations so that they can actually take the API and start doing, you know, avatar led um, presentation as sales and marketing presentation or servicing presentation and communicate with the customer in a much more straightforward way. Um, And there is a little bit of things called, um, which is a bit Star Trek-y where uh, as we talk to each other like this, and if you were French and I was English, even though we are both French, um, I could speak in English and and Zoom would translate it in French for you. A little bit Star Trek-y, actually. <laughs> so that's where the world is going. And I think it's very important to understand the metrics and therefore where growth is going to come from. So, Tristan, I have a, a fun question for you. So think about 10 years that has passed, right? And um, so I want you to go back 10 years ago, 10 years younger. And then we are speaking, and then I would like you to put yourself 10 years in the future. I know, complicated. What would therefore be your expectation looking at where you come from and where we are going uh, as an inspiration note for our listeners? Um, So 10 years ago, um, I was in Middle East, actually, (laughs) doing an internship in banking, um, doing business banking, um, but really on the field, which was really fun. So when I look back, it's uh, it's very different, you know, like going, I was working for Societe Generale as an intern while in business banking and going to see clients uh, on the field. And it was really fun. And also like, um, it's my first internship abroad and I was going back to Middle East, I've been, I've been grown up there partly uh, when I was younger, so it was really, really good. Uh, but I would have imagined that, well, I, w- I already liked banking, um, but then knowing that I would be so much into fintech and like uh, having moved now to Barcelona after being in London. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was already curious at that point about innovation and what was going on in the world. Um, I really wanted to go to London my studies so which is what I've I've done um but I think at that point I I, I thought I would be more an investment banker uh which I haven't been so so it's it's quite funny so this is 10 years from now uh, I wouldn't imagine where we'd be now so it's it's hard to think that I would be I would be accurate about where I am in 10 years but 10 years from now if I'm lucky I'm still like doing advisory to like interesting companies and founders. Um, I hope a few of the bets I've made on startups have, have gone well and they're, they're big businesses now. Uh, there's, there is hope um, because I have equity in a, few, in a few startups and I hope like they're doing like really, really well now. I mean, jokes aside, I think they're, I'm, I hope they're, they're alive. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I would like to continue doing advisory, continue to be in interested in innovation and, and fintech um, and continue to work with uh, with very smart founders. Yeah, it's interesting that 
you, like me, actually started in, in banking. Uh, you were at Société Générale. My first internship was actually at La Caisse des Dépôts et Consignations. I was doing some swap analysis and black shawl modeling. Um, and then I went to do my study in London too. So we have that in common. But then you are in fintech and so still that connection to finance through fintech. And today it's about enabling the businesses of the future, which also we have in common and uh, which actually keep us awake at night, right? It's very busy to do that. I mean, we are working with very fast moving companies. So where can people find you, Tristan? Um, so they can find me on LinkedIn where I am quite active. Um, they can also find me on Twitter where I try to be active as well, uh, fintech underscore review. Um, and yeah, and also I, I do enjoy when people drop me an email at hello at fintechreview.net and chatting about fintech, suggesting ideas of like topics that could be covered or people that I want to write or interesting people I should interview as well. I, I do, I do enjoy that. Um, so yeah. And I, I encourage people to reach out because there's nothing I like more than having very random discussions with, uh, with people and coffees, digital coffees. Yeah. Well, a bit like the way we met actually, Tristan. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. thank you so much for joining me today on Scouting for Growth. And uh, I look forward to reconnecting soon, I hope. Thanks for having me, Sabine. Pleasure is mine. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine van der Linden. Thank you.